Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Go ahead and open your Bibles back up to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 will be there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, I look around, I see several guests here today, and we are thrilled to have you with us. Uh, it's always wonderful to worship God with, with new faces. Uh, we, that doesn't discount worshiping God with the, with the uh, regular face. I'm not going to say old regular faces, uh, but it is good to, to see some new faces out there. Thank you for being here and being a part of what we're trying to do today and bringing glory to God with our songs and with our sermons and prayers, and especially in remembering the Lord's sacrifice. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about heaven, which is, you know, not uncommon for me. We've had several sermons and even a series this year on heaven, uh, that series back in March, I had to look it up because I thought it was way more recent than that. So I don't feel quite so bad about preaching about heaven again. Uh, but I'm not going to talk in details about heaven itself as much as about our motivation and why we do what we do and uh, what, what is the motivation behind the decision that we make. I, I had not planned to start with this passage of Scripture, but because uh, Chris read it earlier and it got me thinking, as I was already thinking about the things I wanted to say this morning, I want to read it again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and following. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Not, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. The question I want to pose to you today is this, I think, very simple question. What is heaven worth to you? This little passage where Paul talks about running a race, he basically says there's a lot of people who are, who are runners. I, I would assume the, the imagery here is Olympic athletes being there in uh, ancient Rome, that you've got these people who have, have made a life out of running. And they run and they, they control their body and they control what they eat and they get out there and they discipline themselves and they push themselves to go even faster or even further every time they race, and they've got this exercise regimen that they're on, and they have to follow it. They have to coach that teaches them exactly what they're supposed to do and when to run and when not to run, when to run and when to rest. And you've got all these rules, and they follow all of these rules all because they want a perishable crown. They will cause untold amount of pain to themselves to win a perishable crown. I know runners who have run so far that they have worn out their shoes and had to get a new pair of shoes on in a race because the race was so long they literally wore the soles off their shoes. Uh, toenails falling off because of the abuse that happens to the feet 
in some of those runs. Just pain and pain, leg cramp, pulling hamstrings, all sorts of things that happen so that you can win a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable. If those people are willing to do that much to win something so little, what are we willing to do for heaven? That, that's the implication here. That's the question on the table. What is heaven worth to you? And I, I don't really necessarily know how to answer that. I mean, you, it, it's nearly impossible to put a dollar amount on that, isn't it? But Keith kind of did earlier in our Bible reading. Turn back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, while this is talking about the kingdom of heaven, and that, that's dealing more with the concept of the church itself, you still have the idea of coming into the kingdom of heaven so that you can gain the inheritance of heaven. And here, talking about the kingdom of heaven, says the kingdom of heaven like a treasure. There's money. Like a treasure buried in a field, and a man finds it, and he reburies it, and he goes, and he sells everything he has so that he can buy that field, all so that he can have that treasure. So the idea here is by monetary value, what is heaven worth? Everything. He goes on and says it again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. What dollar amount do you put on heaven? Everything. That's the dollar amount. I don't know what that amount is for you. But it's the same for all of us. What is heaven worth? It is worth everything. Or maybe a better way to word this would be, what are you willing to sacrifice for heaven? What are you willing to give up? The treasure hunter gave up everything. The, the pearl merchant gave up everything. They were willing to sacrifice every earthly belonging they had for the one thing the kingdom of heaven. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus says, For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What, what thing on this earth has any value that is greater than the benefit of gaining heaven? Anything? It's it, honestly, if you do an evaluation of your life and you sit down and you wrote down every asset you have, every relationship you have, every experience you've ever had in your life, what of any of those is worth giving up heaven to gain that one thing? Any, anything? Can you think of anything that is worth the value of heaven? Because I, I can't. I, I honestly can't think of anything. What am I willing to do in service in order to gain heaven? Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Therefore we do not give up. 
Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day after day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal, or what is not seen is eternal. We struggle to answer this question because we know the answer is that there really is no answer. You know, how do you place a value on heaven? How do, you, how do you really figure up exactly what heaven is worth to you? And, and, and so we, we try to figure that out. What, what is it that, is, that we have in this earth, in this existence, that is, that is greater than the desire to have heaven, you know, it, it, I would sacrifice anything for heaven. I would be willing to do anything in order to get heaven. There is nothing off the table. Heaven is worth that much to me. And then we're faced with a reality. Maybe some of you have already thought of this. But we are often willing to give up heaven for something so silly. Something simple. Some little sin that we want to hang on to. And while we, we like to boast about the value of heaven and the gift that God has made available, and we like to talk about the fact that we would sacrifice anything and everything, that we would be like that treasure hunter and sell everything we have in order to gain a place in the kingdom of heaven, or we would do anything we have to do to have heaven, that we would, it, it just has incomparable value, but then we sell it for something so little. We sell it. I mean, maybe, maybe it helps to imagine heaven being like a place where you get tickets. Maybe it's like a football game, and you've got tickets, and you're excited about your ticket, and you've been looking forward to this game. This is the game. This is the one you've wanted to go to above all other games. And then at the last second, you decide to sell it for a few pennies. You just hand it off to somebody else for a nickel. And we would go, that's ridiculous. Who would do that? Who would look forward to something and be so excited about, about their entrance into some great event, some great place, some great environment, and then sell it for a nickel? We do. We do it all the time with our sin. And, and as, a, as a friend, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6. It's a well-known passage of Scripture here. It says here, starting in verse 9, Don't you know that the righteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Now, I'm going to literally ask you that question. I, I want you to... You, know, you, are, you are welcome to say out loud if you want to the answer. You're welcome to nod or shake your head. But let me ask you that question. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's your answer? We know that. We know it. We're familiar with the concept. We don't struggle with the idea. 
We, we really don't sit around and debate, well, maybe, maybe some of the unrighteous, or, or maybe some unrighteousness is allowed. You know, it, it's an 80-20 rule. Like, as long as you're 80% righteous and you just got that little bit of 20% unrighteousness in you, you, you're still good to go. That's not what it says. We know that's not what it says. We know unrighteous people will not make it into heaven. It, it gives us a list. You keep reading and it says, don't be deceived. No sexual immoral people. No idolaters. No adulterers. No homosexuals. No thieves. No greedy people. No grunt, drunkards. No verbally abusive people. No swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now what's interesting about that list is that it includes some big stuff. And we look at those big things and we go, well, yeah, of course. You know, I, I, I completely get sexually immoral people will not make it into heaven. I understand that. I understand idolaters, those who are worshiping idols. They don't even care about Yahweh. They don't care about God. They don't care about their relationship with their God. They want to follow and worship some little statue that's up on the mantle. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to make it into heaven. We, we get that. You know, those who are committing adultery, those who are, who, are, who are betraying their spouse who they've committed their life to, they've made a covenant with that spouse, and they're cheating on that spouse. Yeah, man, they, they don't deserve a place in heaven. Yeah, a homosexual person doesn't belong in heaven. They've chosen a, a lifestyle that is contrary to the will of God. We get that. What about the greedy? Are we as bold against Greed? Paul is. Paul says a greedy person will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, if there is one quality that I think best defines our culture more than any other quality, it is greed or covetousness or discontentment or that sense of wanting what everybody else has and not being willing to be accepting of what God has blessed you with, that sense of just wanting more, 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 more. That's greed. They don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We're not, as, we're not as bold against that. Or that person who's just, they spout off at the mouth. You know, John over there, man, he, he just, he loses his temper sometimes, and we all go, yeah, that's John. <laughs> John's not going to inherit a place in the kingdom of heaven. He, he has sold his ticket for a momentary, pleasing outburst of anger. That, that's what heaven's worth to John. John is willing to sell his place in heaven for a moment of pleasure of letting someone have it. And before we throw John under the bus... We do the same thing from the comfort of our keyboard and computer screen all the time. And before we, we like to sit there and accuse the adulterer, so many are committing at least some 
betrayal of their relationship, I wouldn't call it adultery, but a betrayal of their relationship in front of a keyboard and a computer screen. There are so many people who are willing to sell their ticket into the grandest existence that has ever been created, all for a little, simple, insignificant sin. Because the reality is, there is no simple, insignificant sin. That's what heaven's worth to some people. Heaven's worth idle words. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We don't talk about this verse often enough, I don't think. Because I I really think if we did, we'd solve a lot of the trouble that we create for ourselves. But Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word. That's what gets us in trouble, isn't it? Not thinking before we speak. One time as a kid, it was either for my birthday or for Christmas, my sister gave me a toy shovel. Because it signified how I would always dig a hole for myself at nearly every meal because I would say something stupid that would get me in trouble. I would tell on myself like an idiot. You won't believe what I did today. Uh, Oh, all right, spill it. And I'd have to confess some stupid thing I did that day because I was just being careless with my words. I wasn't thinking before I spoke. I wasn't being cautious and being slow to speak the way James tells us in James 1 to be slow to speak. We're going to be judged for that. Do Do you know... That's what heaven's worth to some people, a careless word. James chapter 4, verse 17. We know that verse, I think. For him who knows what is right and does not do it, it is sin. To him who knows the right thing to do but doesn't do it, it is sin. You know, let me, let me kind of reword that a little bit for you. You know, sometimes all heaven is worth to you is a little bit of laziness. A little bit of laziness. You know the right thing to do. You know it better to just get up and get out there and do the thing you know you're supposed to do, but it just feels so good to, to cocoon for a while. It feels good to just be in my own bubble. It feels good to, to have life at ease. And so I, I'm just... I, I'm going to shut out the world. I'm not going to do what I know I should do because it's just easier to stay here and do what I want to do, which is nothing. So let me rephrase that in the framework of our sermon this morning. What's heaven worth to you? A little bit of nothing. A little bit of nothing. That's the value some people place on heaven because they are willing to give up heaven for the benefit of a little bit of nothing. And so we give it up for that moment of ease. Sometimes we give it up to avoid an uncomfortable situation. We, we don't, we don't want to go out there and have that awkward conversation 
And as James talked about in the last two verses of James 5, we don't want to have to confront our brother and turn them from the error of their ways and therefore save a soul from death and from a multitude of sin. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of trouble. I, I don't want to make things awkward between and this brother or sister of mine. And so it's just easier to do nothing. It's easier to stay comfortable. And so I give up heaven for that. We might give up heaven for who knows what sin. James chapter 2, verse 8. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism and you commit sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors, for whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you are still a lawbreaker. Well, let me take that to some lesser sins. You might not be greedy, but you're bad about spouting out of, out of, spouting off at the mouth. That's what I was going for, spouting off at the mouth. If that's where you struggle, it doesn't matter that you're not greedy. If you stumble in one, you stumble in all. Here's what I want you to realize. And I, I don't want you to see this and point at somebody else or think about someone else's problems. I want you to see your own value system here. We have a tendency to give up heaven for just about anything. That, that's the value we place on it on a practical level. And so we, we can sit down and have conversations about what heaven is worth to you and, oh, it's just it's so immensely priceless that you can't put a value on it. You can't put a dollar amount on it. You can't, you can't sacrifice enough for it. You can't do enough in service to God for it that it is just so insurmountably impressive and amazing that, that we would give up anything for it, but then we give it up for just about anything. What is the sin that you have placed greater value on than heaven. That's what I want you to think about this morning. What is the sin that holds you back? What is the very thing that keeps you from truly appreciating heaven? And then we need to give it up. See, the truth is we, we can't purchase heaven. It's an inheritance. You, you can't serve God well enough to deserve heaven. You, you can't do enough service projects. You can't project yourself across the pearly gate. You cannot serve your way or earn your way to heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance. And we need to recognize that. Heaven is an inheritance. Heaven is a gift. 
You cannot earn it. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 talks about the wages, what you earn from your sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the gift. And it is, needs to be viewed as a gift. It is a gift of insurpassable value. It is a gift that is greater than any gift you will ever be given. It is a gift that you cannot appreciate enough. And it is a gift that you cannot live for enough. It is a gift that's worth everything. We can have confidence in heaven. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 11. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, so that your version might say, so that you may have confidence that you have eternal life. That, that's the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in a way that allows us to have confidence that heaven is our destiny, that heaven is our future, that that is where we are headed. Not a, I hope so, not a, if things work out okay, not a, if I've done enough. None of those work when it comes to heaven. You go to heaven because you have a relationship with Jesus. And he gives you heaven as a gift and as an inheritance. That, that's what it takes. Pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And that can be done. That can be done. That's something we can, we can actually work toward. Turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. It says here, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with, uh, with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. See, the truth is, if you truly belong to Jesus, you're going to have a moment where you express greed. There might be an outburst of anger. You might fail in some way. You might sin. You might mess up. You might miss the mark. We have a lot of expressions for sin. You, you might stumble. But you know what makes you stumble less? Pursuing Jesus. Or here that said, you take your faith and you add goodness to it. And to your goodness, you add knowledge. 
To your knowledge, you add self-control. To your self-control, you add perseverance. On top of that, you put godliness and then brotherly kindness and love. And if you take these qualities, qualities that defined who Jesus was, you take all of those things and you diligently apply yourself to those things and you try to gain them and increase in them and that, you, that be a diligent effort on your part. If you continue to pursue following Jesus and living like Jesus and being more like Jesus, if you'll do that, then you will stumble less and you will gain your entrance into heaven. Not because you've earned it. It is a gift but because you have appreciated it. That's the way we're supposed to live. That, that's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to be motivated by heaven. And, and I think we forget that. We view heaven as if it is this sense of, a, this, it's this carrot in the sky I love that, that imagery of you, you know, a man sitting on the back of a donkey with a fishing pole and he's got a carrot hanging on the bottom of the line and he's got the carrot out there hanging in front of the donkey's face and that the donkey just keeps walking because he's trying to get the carrot but the carrot keeps moving because the man sitting on the back of the donkey is holding the carrot out in front of the donkey. Y'all know the image, right? That dangling carrot, that 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 thing you can't ever reach, it's just out there, and it's there to, to kind of keep us moving forward. That, that's not really what heaven is. I think we treat it that way sometimes, that it's just it's this pie in the sky. It, it's just this idea that is out there that is, that is kind of relatable but kind of not relatable, and, and it's just it's there. It, it's, it's there waiting for us eventually just down the road not what heaven is that's not what God intended heaven to be God intended heaven not to be some far-off dream that might be achieved someday but it to be a daily motivator for each one of us that we so appreciate the gift we've been given that is waiting for us reserved in heaven for you and me that it changes who we are every single day that I as a Christian want to be more of what God wants me to be because I love God so much because God has been so generous to me different. God isn't yanking heaven away from us like some sort of tyrant. And I, I hear it talked about that way sometimes. Well, as soon as you sin, God, God just, you know, God's just sitting up there ready for you to stumble, ready for you to fall, so he can just yank things away from you and laugh at you. And, and, and heaven's presented as that sort of reward and punishment concept of, you know, God just, you know, it, it's only for the elite, not what the Bible ever says. Now, that doesn't take away from what we've said already, that we sell our entrance into heaven for some little sin. I, I think that's absolutely true. But we're the ones yanking ourselves away from heaven when that happens. Not God. God said heaven is there reserved for you. He's not yanking it away. Heaven is there to motivate us daily. 
God's not trying to intimidate us. God's not trying to control us. God's not trying to, to, to guilt us to heaven. God's not trying to, to, to make us feel like we don't measure up. I, I hear people teach that all the time. No. You know what God's trying to do? God's trying to say, me and you belong together. That's what heaven is about. Me and you belong together. Come with me, live for me, because we belong together. And that should change who we are every single day. We are his children. And because of that, we should live with appreciation and love for what he has offered for us. So I ask you again to take this question with you today. What is heaven worth to you? If God tells you to give something up, are you going to do it? If God asks you to stop sinning, would you do your best to stop sinning? If God says live every day for him, not for yourself, not for your job, for your family, not for your own ideals, not for your hobbies, not for your sports team, not for everything that distracts us on this earth. Live completely and totally for him. Would you do it? Is heaven worth that to you? God said you need to be baptized. Would you do it? The Bible clearly teaches that be immersed and have your sins washed away so that you can be in a relationship with him that it is the sign of the covenant that allows you to belong to him and to show that you desire to belong to him and he will take you through the water both in and out and he will renew your spirit and he will recreate you and he will bring you forgiveness and he will take away your guilt God does all that for us in baptism you willing to do that? If God tells you to share this message with others, are you willing to do it? Because he does. He tells us to get out there and spread the message of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are we willing to get out there and share that message? Talk to people even though it might be uncomfortable? So that they can have the same opportunity for inheritance that you do? If God says to do these things and we're not doing them, what does that say that heaven is worth to us? What a great God we have who has given us a place of expectation, a place we can look forward to place that we can be excited about, a place where we can belong, a place where we don't have to feel like the outcast of society, a place where we can go and know that we are exactly what God intends for us to be, a place where things are good. And I, I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, that's what you're missing. And I don't know what it is that holds you back. Do you need to learn more? Let's learn more. Do you need to give up some sort of sin? Honestly, that's what baptism is all about, is washing away your guilt and your sin. You're not going to give up your sin without God being involved in that picture. For most of us, though, it, 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 we've made a commitment. We, we've made 
covenant. We've made the, we've been baptized. We've had our sins washed away. We've made promises to God that we're going to live a certain way. And we don't. What's heaven worth to you? Think about that. And change where you need to change so that God can be assured of your love and your confidence. What is it that God asked Abraham to do in Genesis chapter 22? He knew Abraham. He knew Abraham's heart, but he told Abraham, I want you to go and take your son, your only son, your beloved son, up on the mountain, and I want you to kill him. And Abraham was willing to give it all up for his God. Are you? What is it that you love more than your God? And are you willing to give it up for heaven? I hope so. And if we can help you and pray for you and, and maybe even sit down with you and talk with you about that, if we can help you be stronger and more committed to God, we want, we want to. Whether you need to respond to God by, by belonging to him through baptism or you maybe need to just need prayers, we want you to come forward and let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, Please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.